This is what John, the baptizer, as he bapt- as he gives his baptism of repentance, tells Roman soldiers and tax collectors, don't take bribes or more than what is required of you. Yeah. He's not saying don't do it. Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Byler. And today we're continuing our discussion of the Beatitudes in Chapter 4 of the Divine Conspiracy. Daniel and I move the discussion towards something that is a little bit outside of our starting point with Willard's reinterpretation of the Beatitudes, discussing exactly what this means to be the kind of person that the kingdom comes upon, the kind of person that is blessed. And we talk about those who we see as the opposite of blessed in many ways in our current society, rich people. Yes, we see them as monetarily blessed or as taking from those who should be blessed, but we investigate the ways in which those who are rich can be informed by the working of the kingdom to bless others as they are blessed. So if that sounds at all interesting to you, please stay tuned for this episode. As always, thank you guys very much for listening, and we will see you next one. Um, blessed are the rich? Question mark. That's that's not that's not in the let's, beatitudes. Let Let's talk about it this way. So, I think. Uh, let me. I'll say this, and then you can kind of riff off this. Yeah. As as an intro to, because I think it's a great idea you had to talk about. We'll we'll get into this more specifically. In Jesus' day, the rich were those who were seen to have God's blessing, which again is why Jesus' beatitudes are pretty radical. One of the reasons. Uh, and they were seen as blessed because, well, they they had provision for the future. They were able to um, plan and well, think think about the definition of blessing that we used, right? I mean, yeah. let me see: is to wish or effect upon a thing, flourishing, abundance, multiplication, growth, and life, right? Yeah, and if you are rich, if you have resource, you can do a lot of that. Yep. <clears throat> so therefore, you are blessed if you have those resources and the ability to bless, flourish, and grow yourself and hopefully those around you. And Jesus has a few encounters with rich people that are interesting. Uh, we don't talk about all of them. We'll talk about one of them here in a minute. Um, but the common conception was that if you're rich, you're blessed by God. And I think at least in in certain circles, I think broadly in evangelicalism, there is a, I think a lot of it's, especially in my context, right, in the Pentecostal charismatic holiness movement context, you have a, a, gospel of poverty let's say where being rich is seen as 
and sometimes it leads to, I think this is part of Jesus' point in some of his stories and some of his interactions. Being rich is seen as a self-dependency and not therefore not a dependency on God. And I think a lot of this has seeped into, I mean, what I just talked about. So those streams, the the charismatic, the whole charismatic isn't necessarily conservative. In many ways, it's not at all. But there's certain strands of holiness movement or Puritanism, Quakerism, right? That that affect the some of the conservative nature of of um, of these ideals of dressing very very modestly, wearing simple clothing. And I'm not saying any of this is bad. I'm not I'm not trying to make it sound evil. I'm just saying those are those are some of the things within that have crept from the, you know, I mean, even even in not even from America, from before that in in, in Germany too. But uh, I mean, think about like pietism as a monk, right? You have this. You, yeah, I was going to say the the ascetic movement. The ascetic movement, you, like that, goes all the way back. Yeah, so I think it's <clears throat> a it is a response that says I will reject monetary prosperity for a dependence on god and that has been made idolatrous in in some streams of christianity and so there's been that stream but there's also been the stream and that maybe would be the more conservative stream and the more liberal stream so in your realm yeah, it has become sorry. a stream of not a rejection for riches for the purposes of asceticism or spiritual piety or piety or spiritual growth or personal uh what's the word i'm looking for discipline's not the right word um uh self-control in some sense right that would be a very conservative argument for this but there's the liberal argument that, that says a lot currently in christianity um, the rich, the powerful, those with money, those with possessions, uh, their main purpose is to dispossess and oppress, and they are evil. Therefore, we need to, um, therefore, we need to get rid of the rich, you know, do away with billionaires, uh, denounce like money. People will take extremes of Acts 2. And say these are grounds for, you know, communistic type, you know, lifestyles. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm all for voluntary communism when it's imposed by a political structure. I think it gets really dangerous. Um, uh, but, you know, you'll have people arguing for these things. Um, I can point you to people I follow on Instagram at that point and argue for these things in a Christian context. So you have both extremes here with this denouncement of riches and so i think an interesting flip that you had on this idea as we well, were going th go, so, so, so go so, ahead go ahead yeah real quick before we get to that i posed the question initially blessed are the rich because there are very there are two very different ways of hearing that question there's yes. blessed are the rich Wait, jesus are you implying that they're not blessed 
because that's what his, as I'm going to read in a second, that's what his disciples kind of stumble over mm-hmm. is this, Jesus, are you implying that the rich aren't blessed? Then who can be saved is their question. But now we have a very different question. It's blessed are the rich. We're going to eat the rich. We're going to eat the rich. They're the powerful. They're the problem. They're only rich because they've taken, not because they've created. And so there's a, we've taken, and this again goes back to the post-Christian culture, right? We want the kingdom without the king. We've taken that Christian principle of riches should not occupy your highest value. And then we've carried that forward. But the thing that was supposed to occupy the highest value has now been dethroned and removed, right? The king, Jesus. And so now that we, we're missing Jesus and we know that that can't occupy the highest value, we fill that void with something else. And depending on either the conservative or the liberal side that you just described, we fill it with different things, either self-discipline, self-control, trying to build yourself up spiritually or this redistributive kind of framework that does a lot of very different things uh, politically. So those are the two ways that we can think about this question of blessed or the rich in Mm -hmm. some way. Um, Do you have anything else to add before I get to the passage? Uh, no, no, go ahead. I think I, I just, you pose a question and good. I, I wanted you to give a little bit of a, yeah, yeah I wanted to help oh. give a little bit of a distinction for why, why we're posing this question yeah. in terms of the Beatitudes, because as you just said, right, you know, so well, there is many ways you can read blessed are the rich. Yes. Yes. So this is I think Matthew 19. Yeah. Verses 16 and following. And this will probably be a familiar passage. And someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do so that I may obtain eternal life? And that's interesting. That's kind of a works question. And Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 no. It's by faith. Um, So maybe we should think about that too. And said, um, and he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus Jesus said to him, If you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. I'll pause right here for a second. Marty Solomon points out on his covering of this that it doesn't say that he actually didn't go do it. It just said that he was very upset about having to to do it and so he thinks that and this is kind of i think a playful thing 
that this man does go and do it, but it's actually something that's very, very hard for him to do, and then he ends up following Jesus. I think that's an interesting twist on the usual interpretation that, oh, he went away sad because he had many things and he didn't do it. He's damned to hell and da, 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 da. Um, so <clears throat> I don't know. That might just be a fun anecdote that is also just to highlight the ambiguity of the story here. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, continuing in verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, it will be harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven Uh, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I'll Um, I'll stop there. One thing to highlight, and this I think we we don't get, because in in a lot of readings on either side that you were describing, that conservative or that liberal interpretation, we stop with this, then who can be saved? Mm -hmm. And then out of context, we quote, with God, all things are possible as though it's like this spiritual empowerment and with God, mm-hmm. we become spiritual, like Superman, Wonder Woman kind of thing. But these verses are connected, right? Because mm-hmm. God, Jesus isn't saying here, you know, within the kingdom of God, the rich cannot enter. What he's saying is there is a great struggle for the rich to enter because mm-hmm. naturally their priorities are not aligned with the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But God can do things that human beings perceive to be impossible. Like someone whose priorities are not in proper order coming under Jesus tutelage, becoming a student of Jesus, living a curriculum for Christ likeness. All, all of these things I think are wrapped up in what Jesus is trying to do here, right? Because his call to the man was sell all you have and follow me. Mm-hmm. It's a call to discipleship. So I think we have a lot of things going on here and we do a terrible job exegeting this passage because we cut it up. Um, yeah. So any other thoughts? I think, no, I think that's all good stuff. Um, yeah, specifically your connection there of the, uh, with man, this is impossible with God, all things are possible. This is the, this is the salvific nature, right? This is the, this is the way in which we're changed. Mm-hmm. This is the, from milk to to me this is the way that as we start to live out so we had a conversation off air about um some recent decisions that are trying to get made um but one (laughs) i bring that up to say i i met a guy this was months ago whose friend works as an animator for the bible project and something that I thought was pretty awesome was they 
they um their years they operate with the year of jubilee in mind so every seven years they take a year off wow and so but i mean and you see this in much smaller ways with you know overtly christian companies like hobby lobby or chick-fil-a right yes you would think that to get the most money possible this is a funny this is a funny thing right to get the most money you can as a business you need to be open at all hours of the day verifiably untrue it's the most profitable fast food restaurant in america or maybe second it's chick-fil-a they're open six days a week how many times on sunday have you been like oh you know chicken sandwich sounds great oh i can't have one they're playing on scarcity for one thing but also i mean part of it is and i think even maybe probably more so with the bio project like look if i'm gonna be a christian run a business this is how i operate I don't care what the market says. This is this is what we're going to do. So if you work for us in Portland, if you work for us, you work at the office in Portland, you're an animator, you do you work from home, you work seven years. I don't know how they work pay into all that, by the way. I have no idea. It's a, it's a question I'd love to ask Tim if I ever get to interview him. Um, but just the principle. All right, we're going to take this seriously, how God wants his people to operate in how they treat the land, how they treat each other, how they treat business. What do we do with that? If you don't have that framework of of abundance, of God as creator sustaining us so that we can rest, so that he is going to provide, so that if you think it's all scarcity and it's winner takes all and the one with the biggest house or boat and the most cars when he dies is the winner, then you're going to be open all hours of the day and you're going to get as much money as you can and you're going to you're going to exploit but and i'm at a company right now that's doing that by the way my comp the company i work for is owned by hedge fund guys so they are all about the short-term squeeze and it doesn't make for a good working environment So just to say, if we if, those are the kind of things you can't draw if you divorce the passage. Because it's only in the frame of we serve a God who creates and sustains, who allows us to not be defined by just the work we do with our hands, but provides us shalom and sabbat and rest. It's only in that framework that you can be rich and enter heaven. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's great. <clears throat> and I think um, just a few other things that I wanted to highlight from the passage that I forgot. Um, and this might kind of expand on what you were just saying is, um, and this goes to what we were talking about with the Beatitudes before is Jesus here is showing the, availability of the kingdom of God to mm -hmm. all, right? You want to talk about being inclusive. 
That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying everyone, it can, it can go to everyone. But with, with God, all things are possible, right? Um, and this doesn't mean wealth is bad. It just means that you have to, well, I mean, with great blessing comes great responsibility, right? That's mm-hmm. something we've been, a trope we've been tracking. It's, it's about God's presence with a person and that person's presence with God, not and, and the way that that causes them to do business, right? Mm-hmm. Like you were just saying. Um, Jesus goes on in the next section that I didn't read to talk about, you know, those who leave houses and families and friends and all of that will not lack reward. It's not about wealth. It's about what's our highest value, right? Mm-hmm. He draws that conclusion. Let me just, let me just read it. So this is what I cut a second ago. Then Peter responds and said to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. So it's Peter like, hey, yeah, we've done that, right? We've done the thing you told the guy to do. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you that you who have followed me in, in the regeneration, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms on account of my name will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. So what I think Jesus is, is saying here is not that... you have to sacrifice certain specific things, but that you have to have the kingdom and Jesus as your highest value. And that will imply that you do have to sacrifice things. Mm -hmm. You have to sacrifice being open that extra day or cutting someone's wages just a little bit and kind of a, sleazy way in order to you know squeeze some more money out that kind of thing um it's it's about where value for you truly lies not how much you do or don't have but again, to Willard's point, that just creates a new kind of legalism. That's all that does. Um, and I think I tried to find the, the clip of this, but uh, Peterson has a really good soundbite from a lecture that he gave at some point um, where he talks about how, you know, we have this idea that, oh, you know, you see the, the guy driving the sports car convertible down the interstate, and, you know, he looks super super cool and super successful and, and all of those things. And we judge success by those exteriors. But what we don't necessarily know is that he's thinking about wrapping his car around the next tree that he comes across mm-hmm. because he's not happy with himself. And we see that sort of thing happen relatively frequently, right? Is that the things that we think will make us happy ultimately end up leaving us empty. 
And when we get them, we have this deep dissatisfaction. And I think it's because we, we value them when we should be valuing the kingdom of God. Blessed are the rich, for they shall know the true value of money. Mm. That's a term of a phrase. And yeah, it's it's a lot more complicated, I think, than, than we like to make it. We want to boil it down to this. And then that's part of uh, Willard's legalism argument mm-hmm. is we want to boil it down to this, this simple one size fits all copy and paste solution. And it's not that it's not that at all. Um, so unless you have anything else to say, I'm going to read that. Um, no, go ahead. I think we've this. got time for, for this. We might have to save the, the last bit for next time, but yes. Sounds good. Okay. So this is a, an article by Ray Vanderlaan on his website that the world may know. Um, under the heading, A Ministry to the Powerful. So this is just critiquing our current cultural idea that Jesus's mission somehow excludes the rich and powerful. Jesus didn't limit his message to to the needy and religious. He also interacted with those who had wealth and influence. As a Jewish rabbi, Jesus often interacted with devout Jews, and he ministered to the sick and the poor. But he didn't limit his message to the needy and religious. He also interacted with people from cities like Sepphoris, people with wealth and influence. Jesus shared meals and conversations with influential leaders and was financially supported by them as well. Joanna, the wife of Herod Antipas's financial minister, used Uh, used her own funds to support Jesus' teaching ministry. And I'll read you guys that verse in a little bit. Though Jesus often spoke against greed and dishonest acquisition of wealth, he did not degrade those who honestly acquired wealth. Rather, he seemed to appreciate people who used their wealth as a tool for God's kingdom. Jesus also benefited... uh, befriended political leaders in the first century Israel. Though some religious leaders derided Jesus' decision to interact with tax collectors, administrative officials who often wield political influence, he was not afraid to talk with them. He had dinner with them. As he interacted with the upper echelons of society, Jesus shared the same message he had given to religious Jews and peasants. He recognized that both rich and poor needed the spiritual kingdom of God, and he challenged both groups to live a life of service to God. Jesus used the language of secular culture. Okay, I'm actually, I'm going to skip that section. I'm just going to read this last one. Whether rich or poor, Jesus looked into the hearts of each person and saw their need for God. Today, many Christians struggle to follow his example. We often look at politicians and business leaders thinking they're corrupt, uh, their corruption is beyond repair. Or we belittle the lives of the wealthy, assuming that they don't work hard or deal with the problems of average people. 
As a result, many of our churches focus exclusively on the needs of the underprivileged, forgetting that the rich and powerful need our love and prayers as well. In our schools, Christian students long for popularity rather than sharing God's love with the popular. As we learn the language of culture, we must remember that God's path of righteousness is not closed to the rich or the powerful. He's eager to use their influence and power for his own glory. So Jesus had rich benefactors who supported him in ministry. Jesus interacted with the rich and the powerful consistently. He didn't ignore them, but he challenged them to use their riches well and to not acquire them dishonestly or manipulatively. And I think that's an important distinction to make. The verse that... Um, this is what John, the baptizer, as he, as he gives his baptism of repentance, tells Roman soldiers and tax collectors, don't take bribes or more than what is more or more than what is required of you. Yeah. He's not saying don't do it, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So <clears throat> the, the woman who supports Jesus ministry um, or the, the women, maybe we should say um, in Luke eight at the very beginning verses one through three, I'll read them real quick. Um, and this may be um, something, a verse to consider when thinking about women in ministry. Um, but I think this, I'll use it today for another point. So starting in verse one, oh, here, let me share my screen real quick. Soon afterward, Jesus began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Husa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Mm. And um, Ray talks about how um, we have archaeological record that proves that I believe it was um, Joanna. Yeah, Joanna, the wife of Husa. Husa was Herod's personal steward. And so he managed Herod's wealth. Herod's wealth was actually gained through some rather dishonest means um, and some pretty oppressive means sometimes. And yet this woman became a benefactor of Jesus as she saw the value of his ministry and apparently was impacted by him herself. And so I'm not saying go out and take corrupt money from people. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is Jesus didn't shy away from taking things, taking gifts extended to him by people he wouldn't, you wouldn't expect him to and doing mm -hmm. something good with them. Mm-hmm. And that should be a challenge to us as well, right? And I'm, I'm not laying a blanket rule about what we should or shouldn't do here. So don't, you know, blame me for you making a, taking a donation from someone you shouldn't. 
but I think we need to have second thoughts about our standards there and have a bit more of an honest and open conversation about money and finances um, in the church. So that's, um, that's the last bit of that. I honestly think, oh, well, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, we don't have time for, for that. Um, yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got. All right. Well, uh, can we? Here, let's try. Let's. I think we can make it. Let's do this. Make it to the end of the outline. I think I can read those few pages. Quick. And okay. we'll learn. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, there's a soundbite for you to cut, I guess. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Here we go. So I wanted to end this by, by bringing up Willard's, now that we've, we've worked out kind of his thesis through the chapter of what it means to have the Beatitudes to be blessed, that it's not a proclamation of a desirable state, but a, what was the phrase, the Mackie phrase for? For blessing. Yeah. Um, so he and Jeff Anderson talk about blessing being to wish or affect upon someone or something flourishing abundance, multiplication, growth, and life. Yeah. So these are states in which God will call you into the kingdom to produce those things inside of you.